You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the No Low Ballers podcast. I'm Logan Medish of High Caliber History, your host. Once again, we are here in Fort Smith, Arkansas. We're at Walther. I'm sitting around the table. We've got Dan from Go Wild. We have Cody from Walther, and we have Caleb from Commando Bond. Um, he is our, our resident James Bond expert. Um, and, you know, you, you can't talk James Bond without talking Walther, right? I mean, the, the two are absolutely... Inseparable. Inseparable, yes. I was going to say intertwined, but inseparable mm-hmm. is definitely the much better word for that. Um, and so we, we definitely want to talk. And I know, Cody, you said you're, you're a, a, an admitted Bond nerd as well. <laughs> um, and so we're, we're definitely going to talk all things Bond and all things guns because... Uh, Caleb, you're you're working on a really cool book project that's coming up um, that is all Bond guns focused, right? I mean, there's been tons of stuff that's been published about Bond, mm-hmm. but focusing specifically on the guns is something that is, uh, you know, something that we haven't really seen before. And you got you're kind of filling that void, right? Yeah, yeah. This project is with the team, I think, in this industry that has filled that void for a lot of folks headstamp publishing so you know you've got the vicar's guide series like it's an amazing team that has i think created coffee table books that are elevating our space Mm. and giving tools in this industry that frankly haven't been given the opportunity to be celebrated adequately what they deserve right right because i mean you, you think about a lot of the gun publications that have existed in the past some of your coolest articles or your coolest photography it's in a single issue of a magazine and you might be digging around on ebay for years trying to learn that history (laughs) and get one glimpse at one photo our goal is to create a volume that spans all of the ian fleming novels and continuations so you know around 50 books plus short stories and all the cinematic bond including the non um non-eon films and celebrate the most important tools in that in that genre i mean that's it's a lot of pieces but yeah condensing it into one volume and then telling their stories intertwined with the real world history so mm-hmm. you know tying it in with the real world operators who have been leveraging those tools because like bond and walther there's so much real world history that bond has created and that history has pulled into bond you know cia utilizing x tool made its way into a book Mm-hmm. in Bond's hands. And so like we're going to tell those stories right. and blend the pop culture and reality. That's what I'm most excited about. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's you know it's it's interesting, you know, cuz we talk about how the real world is influencing Bond and that's that is, you know, that goes back to the very beginning with, you know, why Bond's guns are what they are because of people mm-hmm. who who wrote Ian Fleming and were like, "Hey, let, you know, yeah. because Bond, for those who don't know, did not start out with a Walther PPK. No, right? in the first five novels, and technically the sixth, but it's gone by chapter two, um, we have a Beretta, a skeleton-gripped Beretta 25, and you never really get a specification on what the model is. There's a, plenty of arguments. We'll make them in the book as to what the model might be and the different factors that are in there for that reason, and that's due to the fact that that's what Ian Fleming, he, he himself carried a 
Browning 25 auto during his time in naval intelligence in the Second World War. He was a desk jockey, and he did go overseas a couple times, and he did do some stuff like that. And when he did so, that's the gun he trusted. Mm-hmm. So, and it works in the earlier novels. I think that's one thing. I'm, I'm here to celebrate these tools, and mm-hmm. we're not going to, you know, we will discuss, obviously, in the book that, you know, Ian Fleming was not a gun guy. He was a, he was very esoteric and very passionate about a lot of things but firearms were not one of those things he did the best that he could with what he knew Mm -hmm. so a lot of these tools don't really make sense and i think we're going to celebrate and forgive but to that end he gets more less and less detective oriented the first few novels are very detective story-esque you kind of learn through stuff and it's a lot less action oriented but as they progress the things get hairier and hairier it didn't make sense for that gun to continue Mm -hmm. so during the writing of From Russia with Love, he receives a letter from an avid fan, Jeffrey Boothroyd, who is now famously the armor of James Bond. Ian Fleming actually signed his book with that, so that's not a title he bestowed upon himself. Ian Fleming <laughs> gave it to him. That's cool. Yeah, and and but with that too, I mean, there's so much like confusion and lore because you know articles are written, and then someone reads one article and then writes a bunch of books about it. Mm-hmm. The PPK was Fleming's choice. It was not Boothroyd's. Boothroyd was okay. hell bent on the Centennial Airweight as being the proper gun for James Bond. Really? He wanted a revolver because he was he was reading American publications. Uh, so he was reading Ed Given. He was reading, you know, he actually sent, and this is how it all, the PPK ended up in Bond's hands. And this is a story that we're going to be telling that I'm very, very excited about. He referenced a article written in American Handgunner in the 1950s, I think a year before or the year Casino Royale was published, I don't recall offhand. And it's what about the small autos? And in this article, they tested a lot of the major small automatic handguns from World War II. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the PPK is like the fifth gun on the rankings there. Oh, really? But he sends this article to Fleming. I, at Fleming's request, he tells him about the article. And the next letter, he's like, hey, I'd like to read that. And he picks the PPK for a number of reasons. One, because he felt like it was a more common caliber for that area, if I recall correctly. But the most primary reason was he really wanted an automatic pistol for dedicated primary carry because he loved suppressors. He spent a lot of time doing testing with like the special forces, you know, um, precursor OSS mm-hmm, era mm-hmm. and SOE. Yep. He got to hand- handle suppressed Sten guns during the war. And so he really felt like his agent needed a suppressed pistol. He's like, well, you can't do it with a revolver. Right. You at least knew that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Give credit where credit is. Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. So he's like, he's like, we need an automatic. So he picks the PPK mm-hmm. out of this article. Okay. So it's it's a Fleming choice, which to me is even cooler. It's not some guy fangirled and said, hey, you need to put this in. And he agreed and acquiesced to that. Right. He was willing to listen to things, but he still did it his way. And that's how Walther ended up in James Bond hands. And Probably my favorite chapter, if you're not going to pick up any Bond books, and I'm telling you, you really need to read the original Fleming run if you haven't, because they're amazing. But Dr. No, the sixth novel, chapter two, titled Choice of Weapons. It's in that chapter we learn about the PPK, is introduced to the Bond canon, and it's some of his best prose, talking about the goodbye to the Beretta, his original you know, passion for, like, because Fleming was basically writing a love letter to what he had done the last five novels. Mm -hmm. And it's in that transition that we see the PPK and he never looks back. Wow. And so Cody with, with the PPK becoming James Bond's gun uh, and it has been for so many decades now, what, what did that do? And what does that continue to do for Walther as a brand and your sales today? Yeah. It's always a, it's a sticky boat for us for one, because we don't, we don't pay money 
to that franchise or anything. It's just, it was written in the books and that's how it is. Mm -hmm. And we don't advertise that. We don't do, we're, we're very cautious about how we treat that relationship because it is very, we love it. You know, we're all, sure. by, look at my office, right? There's bond <laughs> stuff all over there. Um, but it really has the, the pop culture scene, you know, in the United States drives a lot of gun sales, yep. you know, whether you like it or not, it does, you know, and it has become this just, it, it's my elevator pitch for Walther, right? You know, when I get on and someone's like, well, what do you work? You know, I'm like, oh, I'm in marketing. Like, what do you market? I'm like, guns, Walther. Like, oh, what is that? I'm like, oh, the James Bond gun. Right. And it's an immediate recognizer. I don't have to talk about any specific models and acronyms and, you know, like, above anybody's head there. Right. It's James Bond gun, man. And people immediately recognize it no matter what country I'm in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's always there. And so it's kind of, like I said, it's been almost inseparable for us. And it's kept, I think, a gun, the PPK, PPKS, really alive through these years, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's every time the movie comes out or anything you see the reinterest in the bbk bbks you sure. know and it, it's it's fun for us like i said we we love it we we try not to fight it too much but we have to be cautious at the same time you know sure and, uh, it, it's really a cool thing and we I always call it a blessing for us you know because that's something you can't you know as a marketing professional here like you can't you can't buy that, man. You yeah. really can't. You know, people try to nowadays, and you see films, and I think we all laugh at, you know, Transformers or something. It's just like a big Chevy commercial, you know? <laughs> it's just like, right, come on, man. It was never like that, you yeah. know, with, with Bond. It was there, but it wasn't in your face, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of became a sidekick and partner. And, you know, I think we treat our own guns like that a lot of times as – you know, they're, they're on us all the time and right. we have those feelings and you see that in the movies and in the books and stuff. And, and it's really just helped our brand as a whole, honestly. So, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's exactly like you said, like a sidearm is any, like a timepiece or anything else. It's, it's a piece that you keep with you every day. It's a part of that story. And yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a quote from one of the famous Bond photographers, Terry O'Neill. He did the vast majority of like um, Sean Connery and Roger Moore and a little bit of Brosnan, if I recall right. And he, he said, that's the photo, the inseparable photo that tells the world this man is James Bond is him with the gun. Mm-hmm. And the gun, there's only one. It's the PPK. Yep. It was that, it's that photo, he says, that that's how we introduce the world to James Bond. Yeah. And so my favorite, you know, scene, the intro scenes, right? Yeah. Right, this is the, you know, whether there's a lot of CGI nowadays and stuff, you know, but it's always, the PPK is always in there. And it, that silhouette is so easily recognizable because the Iconic. gun is so different too. You know? Yes. Like, we talk about, everyone's like, why don't you do a nine mil PPK? And I'm like, man, it ain't from lack of trying. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right. It really isn't. But a recoil spring over the barrel, a <laughs> fixed barrel where you don't have a recoil guide rod underneath mm-hmm. it, you know, kind of hard to do on a nine mil. Right. right. Well, it's um, not like the PP super and the, you know, the yeah. P five didn't exist. Like that's the first thing I point. I'm like, well, that was the line that Walther went down for a while. Yep something about the 380 especially in that barrel length you know yeah. especially with new ballistic testing whatever people are making the argument now that it's comparable enough to where it's not you're not too worried about it yeah it's effective you know. yeah know. it does the job and at the end of the day it's 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 your it's your sartorial choice gun it's it's yeah. the one that 
you know, I mean, I got married with a PPK on. Like, it's it's me, it's me the too, gun. Man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is why we get along so well. Yep. Actually, uh, bought the uh, the midnight blue tuxedo with the black shawl collar. Yeah, and got married in that. So yeah, That's yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Ditto here. I've got mine in my car here. You never yeah. know when you need it when yeah, you right. roll there. <laughs> I always laugh. We had a guy that came in here and worked for a little while, and uh, he was like, "Man, I've never seen a Bond film." I was like, "You cannot work here." And I'm surprised like, that's not on your application. I, I feel right. like it should be, you know, but he he got my entire at the time it was DVD set, mm-hmm. you know the uh-huh. the fifty. I think it was the anniversary this kit. Yeah, the know? box sets. Yeah, yeah, the box sets, and uh, he got that and watched them all. So they're good. That's they're cool. good airplane movies. You know, we're on the road a lot, so right. You know, sure. Tell him like, here's your homework. You know, exactly. <laughs> Don't exactly. come back till you've seen three movies, and then then we can go from there. Yeah. Know? Well, yeah, I mean, he has to watch it early. He has to watch Brosnan to see the P ninety nine, and he can watch something a little later to get up to Vogue. Yeah. Yep, right. Exactly. At a minimum. Well, and and it's good that you mentioned you know the the P ninety nine and the you know because yeah. because that's another thing that that we kind of want to talk about is that of course you know James Bond will always be forever linked with the PPK, mm-hmm. but that is certainly not Bond's only gun that he has used both in the books and in the films. Yeah. Um. And so talk to us a little bit about the James Bond character and his evolution in terms of the firearms that he's car- uh, carried and why. Yeah, so we'll, we'll break it into two sections. This is how we'll have to format the book as well, and we have formatted because it's it gets very muddy with the inseparable, you know, the book titles and the movie titles. So the literary bond, the literary bond, starts with the Beretta, mm-hmm. ends at the PPK. At the end of the Fleming run, still there. PPK okay. carries forward until there's... One continuation novel that's written by Kingsley Amos under the you know pseudonym Robert Markham. That's Colonel Sun. PPK returns in that. And then he goes dark for 20 years. And in that time, the 80s happen. And if you recall, there's a very famous, infamous incident um, with um, what? Princess Anne, the attempted assassination. Mm-hmm. Her bodyguard, this is Bond influencing reality, was carrying a Walther PPK and 32 automatic. His gun jammed. And thankfully, there was a boxer in the crowd who was able to stop this attempted assassination attempt. But it was a black eye on, on that community. And so they pulled that gun from service, unfortunately. Okay. Um, and so what happened there was we have a new Bond author coming in the 80s. And he is trying to figure out what gun should be in Bond's hands because he's writing a period piece. And so he actually opens the book describing it being pulled from service. Okay. And then he goes on this very strange four-book journey trying to find the right gun. And there's he, he goes back 30 years before the Walther um, with a FN-1910. So oh, the, really? Yeah, the 9x21 long is the mm-hmm. first gun that's on the cover mm-hmm. of the book. And then from there, we go to a couple HKs. We get the, the VP-70 and then the uh, P-7. And then he ends up on the ASP 9mm for 15 books. Or for the... He wrote about 15 books, so like the last... 12 um pretty cool and then we get to the 1990s and raymond benson comes into the stage so raymond benson is the first american to ever write james bond okay super nice guy he's actually um based here in chicago so he's he's in the midwest as well and he and i talk a a lot about bond and his guns because you know to him he's he's a writer he said a gun is a gun is a gun you know pulls trigger goes bang it's a plot device to me i need to find people that can tell me what a gun is he's like but what i do know as a massive fan of Bond my entire life, James Bond and the Walter PPK are inseparable. So mm-hmm. in the first chapter of his first book, we're three pages deep and the PPK is already there. 
Okay. And it's back in his hands, but it's carried in conjunction with, because his, his brief was to blend it with the movies. So in his novels, Bond carries the PPK on the body and the P99 off body ready to rock and roll because this was the Brosnan era. So mm. we get to see both of those in the books. And then finally, we get to the 2000s. PPK comes along because we get a lot of period novels. The Beretta comes back because we get more period novels. But then we get an interesting book from um, Jeffrey Deaver. And this is in 2012, 2008, somewhere in that range. And it's a Walther PPS M1, but it's in 40 caliber. Hmm. So it's, you know, weirdest thing for a European guy to be running around. <laughs> I think anyone who's read that book, it's carte blanche. I love the book itself, but... You read the first chapter, and uh, you've got a James Bond who is wearing head-to-toe OD Green 511, wearing Oakley sunglasses, and carrying a 40 caliber handgun in a OWB paddle holster. And you're like, wow. <laughs> you're like, is this James Bond? Yeah, you're, like, you're this... kind of like resetting yourself emotionally as you're reading that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that's like uh, Bond had a long-lost twin, and one of them grew up in Europe, and one of them grew up in, you know, mm-hmm. 1990s Missouri. law enforcement America. Yeah. yeah. like <laughs> That's pretty LA. wild. Yeah. So, but we get another Walther in Bond's hands. And right. I, I just think that's so cool. Like, the coolest part about that whole journey I just took you on is we have a ton of really interesting handguns that have a lot of really storied history. But at the end of the day, all these authors, and I think this is what we, we see happening in the future. This is why the P99 ends up in Bond's hands on mm-hmm. the screen, because those are really the only two major guns. It's because Walther is inseparable with James Bond. Yeah. So, if you're going to reset the pistol, like, all right, what's the latest and greatest on Walther? You cannot find a new Walther post of a new handgun drop without somebody getting excited about, will James Bond have this in his hands next? I yep. want to see this in Bond's hands. That's mm-hmm. all you hear. Trust me, I would like to see it as well. <laughs> well, <laughs> it makes my job much easier. And I think we talked about this in a past episode, and I was asking you, well, were there British-made guns in similar caliber? But a question for you was, at this time in the 50s, 60s, was there a bunch of uproar about the British agent having a German manufactured gun? I'm not really sure the history of them. Was there animosity towards that? Was it not totally to my knowledge? Fine? I mean, this was the this was like at the right at the stage of the Ulm era. So the French were manufacturing a good majority of the pistols because this was like 19, this was the 1950s. So the mid 50s. So you're set back, and um, the I mean the book says it the best way. You know. The American CIA swear by him. So from, from word one, mm. Fleming is asserting that this is an international community standard. And the British really weren't small arms manufacturers. I mean, you look at like the the guns that they were assembling aside from like the Enfield series, and they were stamped together steel. I mean, they were held together by prayers, right? <laughs> right. So they, yeah. they weren't out there developing the latest and greatest in handgun technology. And so to my knowledge, no, I have not. The biggest complaint that came out of that, honestly, and this might just be because he messed up so bad, is because Boothroyd wanted a revolver, he recommended a revolver-based holster to go with the gun. Fleming really liked the sounds of a Burns Martin triple draw lightning holster. He liked those turns mm-hmm. of phrases. So he kept that, even though it's a holster dedicated exclusively for a revolver, to be paired with the Walther PPK. Mm. So the hate mail was more about this holster <laughs> pairing than anything else. So, you know. And that is... If if that is not a a gun guy thing, mm-hmm. I don't know what is. Like you screwed up the holster, and I'm gonna take the time out of my day to write a letter to make you miserable. Like mm-hmm. that is gun guy to a T. Well, is it and, not? And, and not about the fact that they went. Well, we really wanted them to change, and he did. But you did it wrong. Like right. Like, yeah. You, th- there is no winning. So. Yeah. Awesome. Oh man. So so what is what is Bond's current gun setup? 
Well, in the latest movie, I thought this was the coolest thing. I'm sure, Cody, you had the same feeling as I did. When I saw No Time to Die, I got to go. Um, my fr- a friend of mine, David Zaritsky, got me some press passes. So I flew up to Chicago, and it was timed precisely with the global premiere in London. Coolest thing in the world. I'm watching this, and you get to the towards the end of the movie, the final climax. Bond's been carrying the whole film, almost exclusively some larger frame pistols that are reminiscent of his SAS SBS days. So... Browning High Power in the beginning, the 226 is the hero gun form in a bulk of the movie, but we get him carrying his Walther PPK AIWB underneath his commando sweater, mm-hmm. and he has this amazing moment where he's surrendered all of his other firearms, and he does a direct from appendix draw, press, and fire, and it's the first time we've ever seen him carry that way on screen. Okay. That's, that, that's modern carry methods finally making their way into Bond movies, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And it was bringing the PPK back in a very, in a way that, that worked without it making, you know, it wasn't the unlimited ammo action hero moment. Yeah. It, it fit the moment perfectly. Mm-hmm. And it felt super authentic. Yeah. I mean, I cheered. Yeah. It was, a, so I have a funny story with this whole no time to die thing because you know it was delayed mm-hmm. multiple times and I did not want to watch a single like preview intro into it. i just wanted to like go into the movie like not knowing really much anything you know mm-hmm. scene wise for it and so years you know of like bouncing back and forth well the movie comes out i i have a trip to germany and um i go over here we're doing product testing on on some new things and uh we go over to uh our owner's son's house um, ike flammer and wolf our owner is there and sitting at the table with him and uh the movie had just came out like the day before or something. And I was flying back home to go see it with my wife and everything and sitting at the table and, and spoiler alert, if you have not watched don't no time to die, but he's like, ah, oh, he's like, I saw the, I saw the new 007 movie today. He's like, it was great. He dies at the end. And just, I was just like, Oh my God, man. So <laughs> just I, sitting there, I was like, in. Wolf, I was like, Oh my God, you know? <laughs> so it was a, it was a funny little, like that's a, I, now I'll forever remember that movie. Cause I'm sitting there in the mu- movie theater the whole time. Like, well, when's this going to happen? You <laughs> right. Know? You're like, we're kind of watching the watch here. Like this yeah, is a three hour you know? movie almost like how long is this going to go? Yeah. But it was like years of purposely not, you know, so I'd see a trailer pop up on Facebook or something. You scroll past, scroll past. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so it was a it was a tough one. But no, it was it was cool to see the the whole. I thought uh, I don't know. I, a lot of people got to go back and forth on that. But I, I thought yeah, the final scene and and what he did as a as a character was just phenomenally done. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that whole series came to a close really well. Yeah. So left me happy at least. So yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, not not to defend it too hard, but it, it was a whole reboot from Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. We get this little microcosm, and it's cool because, you know, that movie, people forget often that it starts with the PPK and it ends with the PPK. Mm-hmm. You know, we, he carries it very briefly in Casino Royale in the opening sequence. It's his gun and went in the whole black and white fight scene. And then he transitions to the P99. But, man, he comes back at the last movie, and he reintroduces himself to service. And not two minutes later... He's been carrying different guns the whole movie. He's got a shoulder holster and a uh, a Walther again. Yep. It there just you go. it just kind of feels like return to service. It just no. it feels very natural. You know, and and there's a lot of movie magic that goes on in in all aspects of movies. Um, but one that I find really fascinating is the the revolving door of guns that have been used uh, in the James Bond films. When, you know, if, if you're going by the story that the movie is supposed to be based mm-hmm. off of, he ought to be carrying a PPK, but you see him on screen 
and now he's got a Browning high power in his hand or something, you know, and, and it, I, I just think it's really interesting um, what Hollywood does um, in, in a way that only Hollywood does it where they just swap things out for other things and they think we're dumb enough not to notice, right? Yeah, there's like accidental uh, fill-ins. I mean, these movies were made in a time where franchises didn't exist and where um, like there was no re-watching that was happening, right? Like right. we have to step back. Like 1962, Doctor No is a perfect example. That entire movie, every single gun is a stand-in for another gun, mm-hmm. right? He's he's introduced to the Walther PPK 765 mil, and it's a Walther PP and 380. <laughs> and the gun that he's returning to them is a, it's supposed to be the Beretta 25, and they're talking about it like it's the Beretta 25, but it's a Beretta and 380. In fact, Beretta put out a magazine. I remember I was like 12 and I was at a trade show. My grandfather had taken me to, and I pull out this Beretta magazine off the shelf that they had, and they're talking about it. And in the magazine, they're, they're complaining that, well, they just swapped one calibered gun for the other because they were both the same. I'm like, well, this is wrong. Like, I, I, I get that they had the wrong things in hand, but you're just like racing to the bottom here and trying to like contray it. So that happens. And then you get later on, and I don't. The whole, cons- you know, the question is, you see the Walther PP a lot in that movie, and then you don't. So maybe they didn't have one on set in Jamaica. Maybe the ones they had weren't blank firing, right? Mm-hmm. It's an FN 1910 with some really tight shots with a suppressor at one point. <laughs> and then later, he has a Walther PP in his hands, which is what leans credence to the fact that they probably just didn't have a blank firing model. Right. And it goes jump cut. It's a Browning high power shooting. And then jump cut. It's a uh, 1911 shooting. And then jump cut. It's the PP again. <sighs> And there's I a, want that gun that just, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, every, just, every shot, it's a different it gun. It just magically you know? responds to whatever caliber you yeah. need, right? So, oh, that's awesome. No, you, you get that like three or four times throughout the series just uh-huh. based on sets and inability. Like they go to Japan, and so the PPK quickly becomes a uh, a Colt 1903 oh, because, okay. the, you know, they, they couldn't import guns over there, but they had sure. those, and I guess they were able to easily make it blank firing slash electronically blank firing, so... Interesting. Cool, cool, cool stuff like that. But no, I mean, at the end of the day, they're like, well, no, it's meant to be the Walther. Right. <laughs> hey, I'll take it all. Down. Yeah, That's exactly. right. Cody's like, bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I know you've been you've been neck deep in the book and working on it, and there's light at the end of the tunnel. So when when are you guys expecting the book to, to be available to be in people's hands? Yeah, the goal is to go into pre-sale in spring of 24. So okay. we, we, we are coming up. The hardest part about this. I think we just, you just alluded to it very well with all the switched outs and changes mm-hmm. and Hollywood esque things that happen out of this. Chasing down screen accurate pieces yeah. has been the bane of our existence. We've been blessed to find a couple of amazing collections that we've been able to get into to get the bulk of what we need. And that's kind of just been what we're doing. And we're, we're having a lot of fun with it too, because in the time where we're trying to find other tools, I've connected with a friend of mine, um, his name's Lorenzo. He's collected every screen accurate Omega watch that was in the Bond movie. Oh, so we wow. have a photo shot, photo shoot with those. So we're going to have a lot of little extra vignettes like that to fill in the blanks here. Very cool. I, I'm, I'm very, very excited to share it because this industry is my home. It's been my home the last eight years. Yeah. And like Cody mentioned, it's a difficult subject for people in the industry to kind of get around because we love the pop culture, but sometimes the pop culture doesn't love us. Yeah. So this, this book is a love letter to that connection between the two and celebrating it because they wouldn't exist without us, and I want to give them something that nothing is easier than James Bond to right. introduce somebody to a firearm to because you were doing it through the lens of pop culture. You were making it comfortable to talk about. Yeah, You're giving them a little window into something they're very familiar with, and that's why they end up with Walters too <laughs> because it's the most familiar go. thing to them. You know, uh, If they're wanting a gun done, Bond fan with a gun, it's going to be a Walter. Yep. 
Awesome. Well, guys, I appreciate you sitting around the table and, and talking bond with me, Dan, Cody, Caleb. Really appreciate it. Uh, Caleb, really looking forward to the book. Can't wait to see What's it. What's the book called? Um, Licensed Troubleshooter, The Guns of James Bond. I like it. That's a great title. Awesome. Well, thanks again, guys, for sitting around the table. And thanks to all of you for tuning in to this episode of the Nolo Ballers podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite platform. Leave us some comments, likes, reviews. We appreciate all of that. Thank you for tuning in. And we will see you next week right here on the next episode of the Nolo Ballers podcast.